Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 247. And it is the first guest of the year. Drunk cast, obviously not included. And films of the year um, was me walking around on my own. Yes, I talked to an old lady who was, was walking her dog and confused as to why I was standing in the field talking to myself. But that doesn't count as a guest. But Eddie Bloody Marston counts as a guest. Um, I was delighted to get the chance to talk to Eddie. We've got a lot of mutual friends. I've been a fan of his work for a long time. But um, I was recording two on this day. The other one comes out in a couple of weeks, so maybe I shouldn't mention who it is because it's not out for a bit. Uh, But I was a bit nervous because they were both people I've not met, both people I'm fans of their films, but I don't really know how they are as people or if we're going to hit it off. And spoiler alert, both went really well. But this one was the first one of the day. And I couldn't have been more pleased because I think when I'm a bit nervous and intimidated because Eddie's a great actor and I'm kind of only starting off in that world. I'm a few years in. So I think when I'm a bit bit intimidated, I proper over-prepare. And honestly, I came out of this one feeling like it had been some some inside the actor's studio shit. I felt I, I was really pleased with, with how it went. I was his first interview of a long day of press for Mowgli, which is on Netflix. So yeah, I was his first interview in that. And you never know how it'll be early in the morning. But again, absolutely hit it off. Um, s- since then, I've watched him in Vice, which comes out soon. I was invited to a preview because I may be having someone involved in that film on the podcast and uh Eddie pops up in that and he's he's just amazing I mean I'll, I'll stop rambling in a minute because um we really cover a lot of his career in this relatively sh- short amount of time and his insights into his his methods and his approach are fant- again you got to realize this is all good for you guys as listeners and I love that Distraction Pieces podcast has, bro- has now broken 13 million downloads. It's one of the biggest podcasts in the UK. Um, but even if no one else was listening, the amount I get from these interviews to educate myself and to help myself going forward is is flipping fantastic. So yeah, Eddie's great. We'll get into that. Before we do, I will once again mention that we are brought to you as ever by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Um, it's the new year. This is traditionally the time that merch sales and everything drop out of their own arse and it's just, it's terrible. No one no one wants to buy. So if you're a fan of the podcast, you're welcome to go over there and buy some podcast merch. I'm also, I'm about to launch, I know I've been mentioning it for ages now, um, some new merch. I've shot a video of it. It's the best merch announcement video I've ever done. It looks amazing. Um, I don't think we're ready to put them on sale yet as this goes out, but it will be in the next week or so, I promise you. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye on speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Also, before we get into the podcast, I'll mention patreon.com. Everyone over in the Patreon group, it's only a dollar um, a month. Everyone over in the Patreon group knew about Eddie and know who the other guest I interviewed that day is because I post a, a selfie with the guest after I record it um, each time I go on there. And at the end of this month, I've got... In the last two weeks of this month, I've got, I think, four or five guests I'm recording. And there's a small chance there's an absolutely insane one that's going to be added. Which, yeah, if that happens, you want to be a member of the Patreon group. Because 
you honestly, everyone you think of now in who this guest is going to be, you 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 you're wrong. It's not even going to be someone you would. It would cross your mind would be on this podcast. So if that one happens, then um, yeah. That's going to be exciting. Oh, I'm getting all excited thinking about it. It might not happen, so I'm not going to say much more. But on the Patreon as well, I now do, um, starting in Feb, which is just around the corner, I do Poem of the Month on the first Monday of the month where I've I've been going through old hard drives and finding all old spoken word pieces and performing them, reading them for the first time in five, ten years and performing them for, for for the first time as well so i've been recording that they're the first of the month and then i've been recording distraction pieces rewinds which are the third monday so the poems are the first monday of the month the rewind is the third monday of the month um and that is uh me going over old episodes and i've recorded three or four and they've been i expected them to be 10 15 maybe 12 20 minutes each one is 35 40 45 50 minutes because it's been really good fun to remember the recording of some of these episodes how they came about i talk about how i first met a russell brand and how it kind of offended paloma faith because because russell's the first guest i talk about the fear after recording my first ever distraction pieces podcast and having the worst drive of my life afterwards so yeah there's a lot of good stuff to come there that's all over on patreon it's a a dollar a month as some, as some of you will remember i started the patreon i wasn't going to be doing anything on there the reason i had it as a dollar a month rather than all these tiers of four five six seven eight nine ten or whatever um the reason i didn't have any of that was my plan was not to use it just to say look i have people ask all the time if they can donate or contribute if you don't want to buy merch here's somewhere you can just sling a dollar a month that's l- less than that's basically buying me a couple of pints a year if 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 you listen to this podcast and think oh i really enjoyed this if i ever bumped into pip in a pub i'd buy him a beer if you think that's the case then just subscribe on the patreon because it's probably two pints a year because the dollar comes in at like 70p so oh no maybe a, a full round a full evening no it's still only like 12 quid if that under 12 quid um anyway i've gone off off on a tangent that yeah i was gonna not post anything on there but then i really enjoy it as a little community i talk about it on there a lot it's kind of nice because it's closed and you don't have all the other dickheads who are on facebook and twitter and instagram so we have our little community and we chat and all that so yeah anyway i decided to add all this new stuff but i also decided to keep it at a dollar you can pay more over there if you want but i wanted it to be nice and affordable and again the reason i chose a dollar is and i say this on there a lot i want it to be an amount that you don't notice coming out of your account each month i want you to just sign up and then be able to forget about it because if you dropped a quid a month it wouldn't hit you too hard hopefully or if it would then don't join the patron that's that's kind of the idea equally i kind of sound there if you wouldn't notice two quid going a month then up it to two quid you know what i mean but yeah that's all I'm going to say. God, I've rambled on longer about Patreon than I intended. Let's get on with this podcast. Um, as said, absolutely humbled to get to sit down and, and learn from someone who I think is one of the, the true greats in uh, in British acting, um, in, 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 in acting in, in general. I'm, t- I'm telling you, Vice is a masterclass 
of performances and Eddie was one of the people chosen to to be part of that masterclass. So um yeah, at Mowgli we talk about that a load, so we'll get into that now. Here it is, episode two hundred and forty seven of the Distraction Pieces Podcast. So, yeah, I'll begin. Um, I'm joined today by Eddie Marson. How are you, sir? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How, how do you find these kind of press runs? Because you're someone that keeps so busy. Like, there's a lot I want to talk to you about across yeah. your career because um, I'm a, a fan of a lot of the projects you've done. But it must be tough when you keep so busy acting-wise that then you have to be kind of pulled back to talk about something that was maybe... T- Two gigs ago, or yeah, three gigs yeah. Ago. This was, I mean, I mean, Mowgli was first. We started Mowgli in 2013, I think. Yeah, or, yeah, I think it was 2013. I think it's amazing because yeah. because when I, I was working on, a sh- I did a show called Taboo a couple of years ago, yeah. and Louis Circus was on that, and he had to cut to go and work on yeah. on Mowgli. Yeah. So it was one of them. I was like, this has been a long time coming, yeah. It, but yeah. yeah. Well, you so how is that to kind of to, um, to revisit it? It's fine actually because when you work on a project in order in order to do it well you have to you have to become you have to work out what your function is within within the piece. Yeah. You have to look at the the the, the whole script and work out what it's trying to say and what your function is within that. And so you you learn to to dissect it and and to analyze it to such an extent that you can describe it succinctly to yourself in order yeah. to do it. So therefore, yeah. you come back to that when you discuss it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And and yeah. and again, it it must be nice because you're kind of at times, particularly if it's been this long a, a period, but, but because with animation, there's right. even longer than with yeah. Yeah. with most things. It must be kind of nice because you're coming back fresh as such and there's going yeah. to be a lot that you didn't you weren't part of no and I didn't know. see and yeah. so you see what they've done with it but there, there's a lot of movies like that yeah you? there's a lot of movies especially with these big superhero movies yeah. and cgi's like the deadpool and stuff you'd see what you did and then you see how it fits in context yeah. with everything else yeah, yeah. it's amazing because that seems to be going across the board because there was when and not to keep going back to a, a taboo when i was doing this series a taboo i started to get kind of sent previews of the the the, the new rushes and yeah. things like that and i kind of asked if they'd stop sending them because it was there was so much being added and so much done that was amazing i wanted to just see the finished thing yeah yeah Do you know what i mean yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. because i'm new to the acting side of things i was like it's nice to be part of that journey but part of it as well it must be nice to go i've done my bit now there yeah, you go. it is, and then you yeah. get to come back. And go, oh wow, this isn't is not how I could have possibly imagined. Well, it. it is, but but then again, if you have a health healthy mindset, and bear in mind, my, my wife's a makeup artist, so yes. I am married to the crew. In a sense, you do realise that it it is both an interpretive and a collaborative art form. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're yeah, not, yeah, you're not, completely. You're not painting something on your own. It, you know, it's not something you that 100%. you that you create on your own. So you do realise that it is enhanced by other talents and, yeah. and and you do kind of just pass the ball along yeah it's it's yeah. one of the most exciting things about it as an industry is exciting and scary things i think yeah. is, is yeah. the lack of control is yeah. you, you can yeah. go and do your thing but then almost it takes off some pressure in a way because there is that kind of well i've done as you said my role and my part in this yeah. puzzle yeah. to the best of my yeah, ability. yeah 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 now 
it could go either way. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah it's, it's it kind of out of your hands. Yeah, yeah, you've got no control over it. Yeah, that yeah. happens. That, especially the kind of parts that I play as well. Yes, as being a kind of character actor, so a lot of them are cameo roles. So yeah, you, you don't know how much is going to be in or out Completely. because it depends on the on the the arc of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I always think that movies are like roller coaster rides or, or, or ghost train rides that the audience sit on and you take them through. Yeah. And I invariably play the guy who goes boo. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and so therefore you are subject to when, they, when, when, a, when someone's editing something based on the arc of the story, yeah. you are subject to whether you could be cut or not. Yeah. Mm. The, the first role I ever got, I was so excited. It was a Guy Ritchie film. We spe- I spent a month, I shot a lot of stuff. And when it came out, I literally had the whole story arc I was part of yeah. had been cut out. So yeah. it was that experience. But because of that, is it important to you to choose your roles and your gigs based on the content and the experience that you're going to get rather than is this, how's this going to translate? What does it, are this turn into? Because as you said, if there's always the risk of yeah. your, potentially your only experience of that film being the actual experience of filming it because yeah. of your editing yeah. out or whatever yeah. else. So, and also with family life. Did yeah, you, you that, know, that's a big... The, the, married into the industry as as well, yeah. There's there's got to be an understanding there. But still, if you're taking yourself away from your wife and kids, then it's got to be for the right thing, right? Rather than maybe in the early days when it's like, I just want to get as much work yeah, as possible. Yeah, there, there is considerations on, on how you balance your family life with yeah. your work. So therefore, you know... It, when I do Ray Donovan, um, I, I commute back and forth. But when I finish Ray Donovan, I try as much as possible to do something at least in Europe. Right. You know, though it's getting harder now. Most of it is being in the US, so it's getting harder to do it yeah. within, within Europe. I always try to choose something that's completely different to the thing I just did. Right. That, that's the way I kind of maintain an element of control over my career yeah. because I'm, I'm loath to be pigeonholed. I've yeah. always... I, I, I hate to be defined by people, yeah. defined by anything, by my colour, by my race, by anything. Yeah. So I always try to do something that defies their preconceived ideas of me, yeah. you know, because then that, to me, that guarantees longevity. And it doesn't give them the, the um, control over my career. It gives me control over my career. Yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's beautiful, though, because that, that has to take some some resolve, I guess, because it really feels like it's... It's a long game. It is in, a long in, game. In, in, in that approach, it's saying I'm going to have because again, if you're kind of to pick someone out of a hat, but a Tom Cruise character, yeah, yeah. he plays a Tom Cruise character. He does, all and the that's time. it. And that that has meant that grows and grows. Whereas if you're having that variation, it's that slower burn. But like I, when I had the opportunity for, for this chat, I knew there was a lot of stuff I liked of yeah. yours. And when I was going on IMDb, I was like. Oh, there's loads more as well. Yeah, there was yeah. that as well. And it's that yeah. kind of, even as someone who is already a fan of you, there's a lot that because there's such a variation, yeah. you forget that that's Eddie in that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and also it means that people don't join out the dots as much. Yeah. So the momentum is not as, um, how can I say, it's not as instantaneous as it would be if I was, if you were marketing Eddie as me as to be always be me or to be a kind of Tom Cruise character yeah. and to always be the same character. The marketing of that is very easy because yeah. you, you know, this is what you do and you do it. Yeah. You know, someone like me, it's hard, it's harder to join the dots because there's such a variation in what you do. So, yeah. so to, to create a narrative that you can sell or market yeah. in many ways is much harder, but I think it's being overcome now just because of 
the persistence of just keep working. Yeah. And then people suddenly go, oh, no, this bloke does all this stuff. And also it's just I think that that's what an actor is. Yeah. I always wanted to be an actor. I didn't want to be a... I didn't want to be a movie star. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to be a big movie star. But yeah. What I mean is, it wasn't my goal. Yeah. My goal was to be good at my job, and I looked at what an actor should do, and what an actor should do is create different characters. So you create different characters. It's such a strange balance or conflict these days because it seems to be either you're you're chasing fame for fame's sake, or yeah. you're chasing art for the sake of art, yeah. and those two can, can, can cross over. I was brought up to kind of, I'm not against the idea of fame and exposure, yeah. but for something I'm good at, yeah. not just kind yeah. of to be on TV or to be yeah, on the set. Exactly. Like, if I'm good at something, I'll take as much praise as, yeah. as the next yeah. man. I, yeah. I, that's a beautiful thing, but I don't just want to be, oh, we can put you on this show or on this show. It's like, well, no, that's not, that's no, exposure. No. Not, not Because also not if credits. they're putting you on that show, they can take you off that show. Yeah. And they can, if you've built a career based on learning a craft, that can never be taken away from you. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know how you know how to do it. Yeah. So I've always felt I've never wanted somebody to bestow something on me that they can take away. Yeah. I've always wanted to be able to obtain it myself. And 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 if you if if, if you hold that control and that focus, then it is something that you genuinely. There's a great documentary on an artist called called Hokusai who's uh, uh, he, the guy who painted the um, he did the wave, waves yeah. Yeah. And, I um, wanted to see an exhibition of his about 15 years ago it's amazing. absolutely amazing but he, he he kind of came into prominence really late in his life yeah. and he wrote himself off late in his life it was like at about I think it was about 60 he'd got a lot of fame and he decided that everything he'd done was rubbish Yeah, and his aim was that by 70 he'll be good by 80 he'll be a master yeah. by 90 he'll be uh, every brush stroke will be a work yeah. of art yeah. And he died, uh, I think, 85. So he right. died on his his way there. But it's something that really, after I saw that, it motivated. I felt it translated well into acting in that it is something that you should, in theory, always be improving upon. It yeah. should be an old man's game. And you can argue against that on box office or Hollywood appeal or whatever else. But purely from the craft, it's something that you should always be improving upon and learning from the last role you got and the last experience and... And getting better and better along the way. Well, if you work out what you consider to be the obstacles to being good at, as an actor, yeah. the main obstacle to being good at an actor is, is egotism, yeah. is, is thinking that it's about you. It's being in front of a camera or on a stage and, and wanting approval from the audience. Yeah. That's the worst thing an actor can do is want yeah. approval from the audience. And as you get older and you... You, 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 your life develops, you have relationships, you have children, you have friends. You, you, you less and less look for approval from other people. Yeah. And the less approval you look for other people, the freer you become as an actor and yeah. the more in the moment you can be. Yeah. You, you know, um, and that's so you do get, as you, as you get older as an actor, you do improve with age. Yeah. The normal arc of most human beings, as they get older, they become less egotistical. They become less worried of self-conscious and less yeah. worried about what people think. Yeah. So you become even more free. Yeah. And when you become free, you become a better actor. Uh, did you find p- parenthood fast-tracks that? Because yeah. that's the ultimate removal of Com- ego. Completely, right? completely. Yeah. One of the things, it, because of exhaustion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you turn up and you're exhausted. Yeah. And when you're exhausted, you can't... One of the first things you let go of is self-consciousness. Yeah. You know, that idea that I want to be admired or I want to be desired or, or I want to be praised. You give that up because yeah. you want to get un- – when I turn up now, I want to get in, do my job, be good enough to 
do my job well enough so that someone will employ me in the next job and then yeah. get home to my family. Yeah. So I'm actually very, very – the reason I think I get employed a lot is because I'm a very efficient actor. Yeah. You get me in and I'll do a good job and I'll go. Yeah. You'll make your day and I'll get the plane home and that's it. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's, it, 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 it sings to the kind of I, – I, I hate that it's become a, a, a thing or an accepted thing that the, the goal is to steal the show. That shouldn't be yeah. the goal. That's no, not an actor's no, role. That's no. not an artist's role, which is to no. enhance the show. It is. To make the show this greater thing. But the idea that you're meant to go in there and steal the show or steal the scene, it's like, no, that's... No, that's, no. You've got the wrong outlook if that's yeah, what you're going yeah, to do, yeah. in my opinion. Career-wise, it might be good, because it might mean that you're that I, guy that it, pops on screen or... Yeah, but I think you can still do a good job yeah. and enhance the, yeah. the show. It's a bit like being a session musician. There's a famous session band called The Wrecking Crew yeah. who played backed people all through the 60s and yeah. they were all amazing at their jobs yeah but then they were always employed but they were never you know i think the uh, the they were never the ones and yeah. you know they were at the front of the stage so in a sense it's, it's like being a really good for me it's like being a really good session musician yeah. i turn up and i do the job and i do it really well mm-hmm. and people always call me in and ask me to do the next one yeah um, and if you do it well, then you can have a magic moment, but it doesn't detract from the overall story. Completely. It's no. not a false thing. It's no. not a here's no. my moment. No. It's no. that magic moment might be given to you by one of the other actors if yeah. you're all on the yeah. right page. Yeah. If you're all yeah. trying to just enhance things, they yeah. might see that this is the bit for this person to shine. If I yeah. step back slightly, it enhances yeah. it for everyone. I mean, when I work with Mike Lee, one of the great dilemmas of being an actor is – this battle within yourself, do I, should I be clever or should I be truthful? Yeah. That's one of the big battles, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And when you work with Mike Lee, you realise you, the only answer is to be truthful. You can't yeah. be clever. Yeah. You know, because being clever is dishonest in the sense. Yeah. And it, again, it's, 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 it's freeing if you can take it that is. route. Because it, 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 takes, it takes pressure off. I remember earlier in the year I had an audition for a, a Shea Meadows thing and I had to literally open the email with the description and film it immediately and send yeah. it back immediately. So there was no, no time to prep or to yeah. be clever or to yeah. think about it. It was just, and and I had to record my first ever try at it, all this kind of thing, all these yeah. pressures. And I adored that because I was like, right, there's no, there's there's no, no overthinking. No, it's literally, no. here's what it is. Here's yeah. me doing the yeah. thing that you've asked me to do. Yeah. Not here's the concept I've come up with is this or that. It's like, no, here it is. Here's yeah. me doing it. Yeah, yeah. And in a sense, what you're doing is you're forgiving yourself. You're forgiving yourself. You're going in and thinking, I'm going to just do the best I can do. I yeah. can't do any more. Yeah. I forgive myself. I'm going to do it. And, and there's a lot of um, actors, especially young actors, who don't forgive themselves. Yeah. They try too hard because they're too hard on themselves. Yeah. As I've got older, I've realized that I relax a lot more now. Yeah. And I don't punish myself. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. So, so was acting always your target or on your list? Because you grew up in, in London. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's... A working cl- class families at that time, you're not getting told that by no, a careers advisor. No. I mean, it's, I think, it's not seen as a viable thing. No, at that it wasn't. Point. I, I think I wanted. I think I, when I was about eleven, yeah. I think I had dreams of being an actor, but there was no means by which I could pursue it. Yeah, and I think it went on the back burner for many years, and then I left school at fifteen, and I had no qualifications, and then I, I got a job as an apprentice printer, and I was studying my apprenticeship, and then. Um, my my mates and I used to dance a lot in clubs in in the East End and, and warehouse parties and stuff. And somebody saw me and my mates dance in a party and they said, could you come and be extras in this film? And we went on this film 
and became extras. And suddenly I saw someone do a scene. It was Jamie Foreman, who's now a friend of mine. Yeah. And he did a scene and it was fantastic in a scene. And I remember thinking, I can do that. Yeah. And that's, that, it triggered it. It's you amazing, know? right? It's, yeah. It's, it, it must have been so powerful at that time to get that exposure to what the reality is. Because again, it is, it's, it's, it's such a strange balance because it is hard, it is an art form, it takes skill. But to watch from the first time from the outside, you can go, oh, it's, it's attainable though. Yeah, it is. It's not, yeah. it's not something that's easy or I can walk into, but yeah. it's attainable. It's it's obtain- suddenly- that's it. It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was obtainable. And I was looking at what he was doing and I instinctively kind of understood what he was doing. Yeah. And I think, and I think when, I, when I think back now on, on what acting has given me, when I, over the last 27 years of being an actor and, and what it's given me, it's given me much more um, an expanse in language and articulacy, yeah. which, and I, what I realised coming from Bethnal Green was that, that I had a limit, a limited approach to language yeah. and to, to articulacy. And I realised that, that if you can def- define a thought through language, yeah. then you're no longer subjected to that thought. Yeah, you can you can define it, and if you and you can't be something and define it at the same time. So for that brief millisecond, you are you have autonomy over that thought process. Yeah. So therefore, you can take control of your life. Yeah. And language gave me that. That's amazing. You know, it, yeah. I suddenly realised, and I, if I look back, I don't know whether whether what I've got out of acting is what acting offers anyone, or what I've got out of acting was what I was always looking for. Mm. But what it's given me is, is, is a sense of autonomy and, 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 a, and a sense of uh, to transcend my own limitations, yeah. that I self-perceived limitations. Yeah. I, I define myself in a certain way and, and acting has enabled me to transcend that, yeah. you know, through, through having to study concepts and ideas and philosophies that embody films and the themes of films in order for me to work out what my function is within that and it's also because of the language 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 has freed me up much more than i ever thought it would it's it's beautiful and Mm. and and do you you feel you've learned from the characters that you've had to embody because again i think it's it's such an underrated thing in how much we can learn from characters in film and tv um Jimmy Stewart as Elwood P. Dowd in Harvey taught me that that the traditional drives and ambitions aren't the be-all and end-all. John Cusack in Say Anything yeah. taught me the kind of um, how hard is it to be in a good to just decide to be in a good mood and be in a good mood. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the autonomy over your own feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much that I've learned from watching characters and it strikes me that you've played such a variation. There must be a lot that you do your job in finding that character, but then when yeah. you step away from it, you can kind of go, I've, I know I created that, but I've learned something from no, that yeah, person they, I created. They do, well, the, the funny thing is you don't really create the character. You you serve the character. Yeah. The character's created by the writers. Yeah. And and, and, the, and in a sense, if you think, where did the writers get that, that character from? They, they, they got it from the collective consciousness. Do you yeah. understand? I mean, yeah. It arises. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. all you're doing really is serving the kind of collective consciousness. Yeah. When I play evil characters, which I do quite a lot, I, I try not to make them two-dimensionally evil. I try to find uh, a reason for why they do things, and yeah. that makes them even more frightening. There was a, I once played a guy who, who created the Paralympics, and that was a yeah. fascinating character to play. Wow, of course. Because this man 
the, it was a guy called Ludwig Gutmann, and his his daughter called him Hitler's gift to the world because Hitler was exterminating uh, disabled people. And Gutmann, and as a Jew, fled to Britain, and they gave him this hospital to look after. And he he looked after the hospital, and they thought that the the, the spinal the spinal injury patients would live for six months, and he transformed it. Wow. And, it, and and created the Paralympics and changed their lives. So if Hitler hadn't done what he had done, you would you wouldn't have got Ludwig Gutmann. Yeah. So in a sense, you kind of realise that out of everything, there is something. His daughter literally said he was Hitler's gift to the world. Yeah, it's amazing. And then, yeah. again, I think one of the things I've always got from from when you're playing evil characters is that is that that simple realization that, and which is often I think overlooked in characters in films and TV, is that. Bad guys don't know they're the bad they don't guys. Know don't think bad. of themselves, or no. in general, they don't think of themselves as bad guys. So it can become a little one-dimensional if you have this character that's yeah. this evil. Yeah. Where, yeah. Whereas if you kind of bring an empathy and a human side to them, that I think I'm doing what's best. Yeah, in my exactly. Mind, I'm doing exactly. what's best. Yeah, I mean, whether that be for the world, for my family, for me. Yeah. Yeah. We all. We all. I mean. There's there's no evil people. It's just unhappy people in search of happiness. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. And if you find out what it is, I mean, when I played Himmler, the fascinating thing about Himmler is that he thought towards the end of the war that he was the one who could negotiate with the Allies because he was a nice one. Yeah. <laughs> so he never realised. He never saw himself in the way we see people. Is there any? Is it? Is it tough having to try and find? the good in characters like that, in, in in real life characters, trying to find that empathy with someone who is such a historically no, evil character. No, it's the nugget. If yeah. you can find that, it's, what I, it's where the money is. Mm. Go for that, first of all. Find mm. that. And then allow that to justify everything you do. And and, and then allow the audience to make a judgment on, on the action. Yeah. But don't you comment on the actions while you're doing them. Yeah. So yeah, find yeah. the nugget. Find okay. the reason why they're doing it. And it makes it even more terrifying for the audience because partly the audience can sense on a subconscious level they can understand why he's doing it because it exists in all of us. Yeah, We've all done evil things yeah. and felt justified in doing them. Yeah. So if you can find that and play it, it makes the audience more uncomfortable. Yeah, completely. Mm. And it's a beautiful th- thing. It's, it's, it's something that excites me going forward into acting and yeah. stuff like that is that I genuinely believe that all humans are capable of great, beauty and and, and great, great ugliness yeah, yeah. They're, they're both there it's you know i'll watch horrible things happening on the news and i'll be disgusted but then there'll also be part of me like i can that person that i can see that happening it's, yeah, I, yeah. I can't just paint them just as this unimaginable monster i can see the reality there yeah, and that's yeah. an exciting thing to try and yeah explore. There, was, there was a there was a roman playwright who said um nothing human is alien to me yeah and that's that's the core of it really it's perfect yeah. so so how did you take those steps from being a dancing extra in the background of a thing to the the and again it's been so amazing doing so many of these podcasts and interviews and seeing and it's it makes me sad because it's almost something that's died but almost every actor who's worth their salt and has been doing it for a while has done either the bill yeah, casualty. Yeah, yeah. you know all all these I, kind I of crime monthly. I was in every yeah. crime monthly. I yeah. did every crime in London, and I yeah. always got caught. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. So, so, how was it to kind of have that? It feels like those kind of shows are almost 
the workshop or the school or the yeah. apprenticeship. Yeah. For, yeah. Or were at that point. They for, were, yeah. For they were. So how was that to kind of get your foot in the door and learn on the job? As, as brilliant, such? brilliant. And also to do fringe shows, to do plays yeah. above pubs in every pub in London. And, oh, fantastic. And to make mistakes, to make mistakes and there only be three people in the audience. It's yeah. the best way to make a mistake rather than make a mistake in front of millions of people, you know. Was, to learn your trade in anonymity is, is a great gift. I was discussing this with a friend of mine who I was on on the spoken word scene with, and I used I did I had ten years of doing music and spoken yeah. word and touring the world, and I've stopped now to focus on acting. And a few people have asked me to do just one more show or whatever. And I was saying to a friend of mine in the pub, just saying, the fact is, I was good then. I've not practiced in a long time now. The time I was bad, exactly as you say. Yeah. I was in rooms of four or five people. Yeah, yeah. Now if I come back, I'll have that big crowd and I won't have time to get good no, again. No, I'll be, no. I'll, I'll have yeah. those potential periods of being shit and then kind of, oh, there's loads of people who are expecting exactly, goodness. So yeah. that is a beautiful thing to have that, yeah. that time, the time to you be realize. rubbish. The time yeah. to be conceited and to yeah. be pretentious, yeah. all these things. But no one's there to see it. No, and it's also really it's about <laughs> how you've got, you've, got, you've got to get rid of yourself, you know, because yeah. it's all about you when you first do it. Yeah. And so when you, when you get rid of all that, yeah. and then suddenly you do realise it's not about you, that's when you become g- good at it. Yeah. When you get yourself out, your ego out of the way, really. Yeah. But I think one of the things that got me through acting early on was I was never very successful in the, in the East End. Right. I was never – if you look at actors like um, Ray Winston or Danny yeah. Dyer, yeah. these guys, they are very successful in that world. You can yeah. imagine in the pub everybody wants to of be friends, Danny yeah. Dyer or Ray Winston, and they're tough guys or whatever they are. Very, I mean, I, I don't know Danny Dyer. I know Ray Winston very well. Yeah. Very beautiful, gentle man, but, but he, he, he knows how to be in that world. Yeah. And in many ways, I didn't know how to be in that world. There was a lot of chaos when I was a kid. And there was a lot of chaos in the estate where I was a kid. There was a lot of breakdown of marriages and stuff. A friend of mine recently said that when you saw someone's dad, you you, you called the police because there were court orders and stuff. So there was a kind of family breakdown on the estate. So there was chaos. And I think that meant created a vulnerability in me and a need to understand a need to find the answer and I've always had this incredible need to understand things and that's why early on I became a born-again Christian for a period of time and then I gave that up and then I got and, and acting got me interested in, in, in an element of Buddhism and Buddhist philosophy and just a need to understand because because I always realized I grew up white working class but most of my friends were black yeah. And I actually took refuge in the. Uh, there's a, there was a black family, a St. Lucian family, who I'm very close to now. And I actually spent more time in their house than I did in mine. Wow. So the first, the first orthodoxy I ever rejected was the white working class racism. I yeah. rejected that at the age yeah. of about eight or nine. I just thought, I don't, this doesn't make sense. What you're saying yeah. doesn't make sense because I spend a lot of time with these people and they're not the way you describe them. Yeah. So when, And when you're at a young age, you learn to reject one orthodoxy, but you haven't had the time to establish your own narrative or your own belief system. Of course. You're always looking for something. Yeah. And I think so, that... So you know what you don't follow. You, yeah, yeah. But you're yeah, not yeah. ready to say, but here's what the answer yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. like, I know that's not the answer. Yeah, I know. So that is the answer. I don't, I don't know. know. But I know that it's not that. So yeah. let's leave that for and a And that's <laughs> perfect for acting. Yeah. That's perfect for acting. Yeah, of course. Because then you start to 
you start to read scripts and look at characters and try to find the the, the paradox in every character and yeah. and, and, and the, you'd look under the skin of every character and try to find don't look at the obvious don't go for the simplicity yeah. and acting's taught me to have, to 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 have a healthy cynicism against any form of simplicity yeah. political all this kind of populism you see now yeah. to the right and to the left i've a very very i a healthy cynicism with it all because i think it's not yeah it's not true the world yeah. doesn't it doesn't work like that you know so i think that was one of the reasons why it took so long for me in many ways to get going mm-hmm. but once i did get going i i could do many different things because it, it, it was a, about trying to understand. I've always tried to understand. Yeah. You know, uh, I've always, there's a Lao Tzu said that ignorance is a human condition. And once you accept that and then you ask questions, it's the best way to be. Yeah. 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 Completely. Um, so, I mean, I said that there's a lot I want to get through and we won't get through it all, but part of that is because the first time that you came to my attention was very early on. I was a big fan of the series Game On. Yes. And you were in that as Stoke as... Yeah. And I've purposely not kind of re-researched it because I want to see how much is kind of clear in my memory. And my memory of it was that you were kind of an ex of Mandy's and you were just out of prison. You escaped from prison. Yes, escaped from prison and on the run. So so how was it to kind of go... Because that was a weird show at the time. It was so popular and then it seemed to just absolutely disappear. But yeah. It was this very hot and kind of cutting edge feeling. A lot of it now, I'm sure you'd go back and go, oh, they were cutting some <laughs> of the wrong edges there, but maybe put that edge back. But um, it was that, it, it did feel hot and exciting and new. So, so how was, the, was that to be part of it? And it was, you know, a comedy as well. So, Well, it was, it, it, I was just starting to work then. I, I think I was just beginning to earn a living as an actor. Right. Then. So it was. I, I, was, I think I was doing a play at the National then for the first time. I'd just done a play at the Bush and I did a play at the National. So I'd been doing fringe places, plays in London for about eight years and I hadn't earned a living. And right. then suddenly I started to get paid to do things. But I studied three nights a week with a, a, a really a fantastic drama teacher. So it was at that point where I had learned, made mistakes and learned how to do it in anonymity. And then suddenly they put the spotlight on me and can you be stoked in game on, or can you do the, I did the home Pinter's the homecoming at the national. Wow. And suddenly people thought, Oh, where did this bloke come from? Well, I've been doing it. I was rubbish if it, ten, eight years ago yeah. and I'd learned to act in anonymity. So by the time they, they asked me to do stoke, I kind of knew what I was doing. Yeah, you know, I was the guitarist who was playing, the, practicing in his bedroom for eight years before he walked into a studio. It's, it's similar. I, I had a St- Stephen Graham on here, who yeah. I've worked with on to and Yeah, I'm a really cl- a close friend of mine, and he was saying how he kind of he had a similar thing with uh, when he was in the Shame. Yeah, films. he did. So many of them were kind of cast from the street. Yeah, but he'd been doing theatre. Yeah, yeah, he'd yeah, been doing yeah. All this stuff. So in a way it was kind of annoying for him because it was kind of, oh, you've been plucked out. And I was like, yeah. no, I've been working no, this no, 10 years work, already. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind yeah. of, he's I'm, a good friend of mine, a very close yeah. friend of mine, Steve, but the, the, that similarity where people suddenly think you're, th- you're, you're, yeah, they think... Particularly if you're doing a good job, it yeah. feels so well, natural. It's, like, it's oh, so authentic. Acting. Yeah, you just grabbed yeah. them. And you don't, they don't realise that actually he's a lot more of a craftsman than yeah. they give him credit for. Yeah, I love yeah. that. So, so how was it then to go on to things like Gangs of New York with, with Stacey and with Stephen and with Leo and Daniel Day-Lewis and all these people, kind of, how was that? To well, well the, my first that day world? in Gangs of New York, they said, you're going to have lunch with Jim Broadbent because my character wow. was Jim Broadbent's sidekick. Yeah. 
and I went and had lunch with Jim Broadbent, and I had lunch every day with him for nine months. Amazing. So it was a great education yeah. for me to be with him because one thing you don't realise about Jim is he's not only a great actor, he's also amazing at, at, at dealing with film sets and knows yes. how to deal with them, you know. Yep. So I sat beside him and watched how this man dealt with being in this massive movie and the pressures and, and, and being with all these movie stars and just being present and calm and, and polite to people and self-effacing. Yeah. And I learned so much just by literally, I would literally have lunch with him and then we'd finish it and we'd have dinner every night and, and he became a very close friend of mine. And, and, and because, because my main thing about Gangs New York wasn't really, it was spending nine months with Jim Broadbent, really. It's a, such a beautiful parallel because I had exactly the same uh, with Stevie on yeah. Taboo. I was his yeah. side, I yeah. was his right-hand man in the yeah. thing. He ended up, he stayed at mine a few times. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I just, yeah. It was the same thing of having the luck of coming in with someone who's such a, a veteran, yeah. but also happens to be a really nice person. Yeah. Isn't some yeah. pretentious or yeah. arrogant or whatever. It's yeah. just, it was exactly that. There'd be points where I'm making sure I'm losing myself in the character. And Stevie would just be like, just step just to the left a bit because they're doing my, yeah, my yeah, close yeah. up now. Yeah. So you'll be in shot if you just, and things yeah. like that. Having someone yeah. who at such an early stage, yeah, can kind of go, here's, here's, yeah. here's yeah. how you run the whole, I've been doing this a while. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So that's, yeah. That's a, and there's a grace with it, isn't there? There's an yeah. ease that they do it with. Yeah, that that completely. that that you that I, I suppose there's a rhythm to it and a pace to it and an ease that you tr- that there's one of the that you assume that ease you, you assume the ease of of experience before you have the experience. Completely. Yeah. It was. It was yeah. I, I always remember about a week or two in, Stevie taking me aside and saying, "You do you realise what you've just done?" And it hadn't crossed my mind, but there'd been two. N- new people start who were kind of too nervous to ask anything yeah. of the bigger guys and came and asked me oh what should we be doing in the background here and i kind of said oh if you just do this this yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like you're already doing what that, that yeah. was me to you a week yeah, ago and yeah. you're already passing it on down yeah, the ladder yeah. and all that is like yeah. it was a beautiful thing to see that influence yeah. immediately yeah, yeah, yeah oh this yeah, is yeah. how you act yeah. on set you help yeah. everyone out it's a team you do it's a collaborative art form very so, much so i mean another one i wanted to to touch upon was is another uh, an absolute favourite of mine another person who's been on the podcast in, in Paddy Considine but how was it working on on, on Tyrannosaur with, with Olivia Coleman as well and it was just yeah well I mean it's a, it's a heavy I'd worked with Paddy I met, I, I met Paddy on um, Red Riding yes of we course. got on very Amazing well series. yeah we got we got on very well on Red Riding and then he called me in and asked me to do this and I'd already I, I knew Olivia I'd, I'd done a I think I'd done uh, a film with Olivia, so I knew Olivia, and she had had lots of research. So mm. she gave me lots of case notes studies right. wow. for men who were abusive husbands, yeah. and she gave me these. and And, and it was it was what we were um, touching on earlier: the idea that you don't play a character who's just playing the evil. Mm-hmm. That these men who were doing these absolutely appalling things to these women wanted to be loved. Yeah. So you played a character that wanted to be loved. And when you see Tyrannosaur, one of the frightening things about that character is he always looks like he's about to cry. Yeah, completely. But he's going to do the worst possible thing. Yeah. And that was what you got from these these notes. Yeah. So when I came in to do it, yeah. and, 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 and also Paddy is such a... Paddy is such an artist. I, I, Paddy's a very good friend of mine, and I don't consider myself to be an artist. I consider myself to be, if, if anything, a craftsman. Yeah. I've learned something. Sure. I've learned a trade that someone else taught me. Yeah. But Paddy is an artist. Paddy 100%. is f- f- um, with aesthetics, with music, with 
I think it may be he's very very open about having Aspergers, and yeah. I think it's and I think that's an element of it within Paddy. Yeah, he's need to communicate that and to see the world, and then he expresses the world as he see it in a very artistic sense. There's there's a bit of a Van Gogh in in, in yeah. Paddy, to be yeah. honest with you. And so the combination of that of Olivia being an amazing actress, Paddy wanting to have the courage to express the complexity of the character that I was playing. Yeah. And Peter Mullen as well. That's why it was such a magical... The, that performance gets... Everyone talks about that performance. Yeah. And it was really... It wasn't only me. It was the research that they brought to it. Yeah. It was me yeah. being prepared to embrace the, the paradoxical nature of the character. Yeah. And then the, all the other actors around. It's a, a great p- point because I think one of the things that made it stand out w- was the frailty. In yeah. This, in this horrible, powerful, you know, dominating character... There was a frailty in there. Yeah. That's not an obvious thing yeah. to yeah. find. If you're just going, oh, it's this guy who beats his, you know, his yeah. wife is like that's you're going to think this horrible beast of man. But it was, it was a weaker man who. Yeah. And that's again that makes so much more sense. Yeah, it's, and, it, and it's it more uncomfortable yeah. to watch. Yeah, 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 completely. Um, so there's a few more I want to yeah a, sure. a, a, a talk about, but I do want to make sure we talk about Mowgli mm-hmm. <laughs> and about a, a Ray Donovan. So I'll go back to Mowgli now, and then we'll see what we can sneaking at the end but um how was that as a as a process because it's it's voice work What's it's not kind of, it's not just voice work yeah it, we did that literally act it out oh right yeah we yeah. all got to say how many of you were in the room all of us. once that's fantastic. all of us there was me team. benedict naomi joe there was the load of us we we're all in a room peter, peter mullen, peter again, mullen. Yeah. we were all there and we had all these cameras on our heads, and this is about 2013, oh, wow. and we, 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 we did a kind of stage version of the whole film. And that. then Andy filmed that, and then about a year later we went back and did some more individually, and then we would go back and do some more. And, and it, it's taken a process of about four or five years, and gradually then you see it, it's blended into the animation and, and the, the characters. When you see me as a wolf in the film, that is literally me. It is yeah. me, but yeah. it's me. It's my character as a wolf. It's an amazing process. It must be amazing t- 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 it to is. watch. As it a, is, as but I knew that Andy... It is a change from what you're normally doing. It is. But my, I, I mean, I, I've known Andy for 20 years, and I, wow. my wife did was a makeup artist on a lot of the rings, and she phoned me up. She said, do you know an, an actor called Andy Circus?" I said, yeah. She said, well, people are leaving the sets on Lord of the Rings where there's all these big castles and all this, and they're going to watch this bloke in one room in, with dots on his face play Gollum. Yeah, and so they were watching his performance then. So I realised from that, from my wife telling me that, that you had to commit, you had to be brilliant before the CGI. Yeah, and that's what Andy would that's always amazing. bring. Yeah. There's an integrity to it. There's a, yeah. it's a performance that should hold up even if you weren't didn't have all this technology. If not, then you're taken. You, then you're then you're taken away from the technology. I love that, and it's yeah. why he's kind of made that area of acting completely his own exactly exactly leagues above everyone else because it it could be an area but as i as i i said myself there it's it's it's, it's voice work there could yeah. be an area where you go in and just go here you go this is yeah. a fun day yeah Let's yeah all, and it's not like that at all and there's the, the every everything you see within the characters the interaction of the characters are what the actors are bringing to it i love that and that's what you get from andy because he that he demands that of you because that's what he demands of himself so, so how was it kind of being part of kind of a new story of the jungle book characters because it, there's been a jungle book remake as, as well recently yeah. and and what excited me about mowgli is it's not just 
It's not just the Jungle Brook. No, it's not Disney. Book. It's, it's not, not Disney. Disney it's, it's the characters that you know. But even then, I was the thing that struck me straight off the bat was how how gr- grisly and real yeah. and gritty effort. Yeah. It's not this fluffy, l- l- yeah. lovely thing. It's it's more a reality of animals that, the, that it is. live in the it jungle. Is. They've I, got scars and, and missing I know, fur and, and all it, that. I, I, I love the way that you don't patronise children. You no. know, you don't put a nice attuned songing just to make it you know yeah that you allow them to to suffer the heartbreak one of the, i mean it, it is violent but one of the other things about it is it's heartbreaking yeah but being a child there's a lot of being a child is heartbreaking a lot of yeah. kids are bullied at school yeah. a lot of kids feel alienated they feel they don't belong and all those themes are explored in this story Completely. and there's a and there's a transcendent element at the end yeah you know but you need to acknowledge that because these kids are going through it. You can't just you can't just put a Louis Prima song in and hope everything's going to be all right because yeah. it doesn't work like that. Completely. Yeah. I think Disney kind of in the past often balanced that by making sure every film they make has parents dying in. That's, yeah. That's kind yeah. of their, yeah. well, we've got it nice and, yeah. and chit-cherry, yeah. but by the way, there's death and misery. Yeah, um, exactly. What else I, I loved was the excitement of, and the boldness of adding new characters yeah. to 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 the, the the gang as such, and speaking on b- bullying and stuff like that. Mowgli is kind of bullied in it, but Andy's son, son Louis's yeah. character, uh, Boots, which is heartbreaking. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's, it's it's scary because added new characters. You don't want to have a Jar Jar Binks on no, your hands. No, coming, no, but, no, no. But that character. M- I made it for me. I thought it was well, such it, a good and great, exciting character. Because what character. it does is it because most kids don't see themselves as as uh, Andy's was it Boot Boot. Yeah, they don't Boots, see yeah. themselves as Boot. They see themselves as Mowgli. Yeah, yeah. So if Mowgli, if you didn't have Boot, then Mowgli would be the one who was just bullied. Yeah, and of course. Most they're the one that's just off. And the they won't side. identify with that. But yeah. if you have the kid who is being bullied and you're the one in the middle, that's how most people see themselves. Exactly. So it allows you to to identify with Mowgli more. Yeah. So how was it kind of first getting in there with, as you said, cast-wise, there's Christian Bale, Benedict Cumberbatch, Kate Blanchett, Andy and Louis Circus, Tom Hollander, who's fantastic as well, Peter Muller, Matthew Reese, all, all these people. How was it the first time you get in there and it's all of you having to embody these characters and, and, and play well, it like a play? Because, again, with Andy's stuff as a Gollum and things like that, it was often him on his own having to embody yeah. this and lose himself. Yeah. It must be a slightly different thing to go, right, all of us are now going to be in this room, right? not in the realities that we're, we're, we're telling the story. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. And we're losing ourselves in the character. And you can't be looking across and seeing Benedict Cumberbatch or Christian Barrow. You need to be seeing Baloo and, and Bulgaria yeah. and all this kind of thing. So it's, well, you, it's you a, understand it's a that... Gig, that, right? that uh, that when I go to when I start on this job, I wouldn't look across and have the same affinity with Benedict Cumberbatch that somebody else with because yeah. you know I first worked with Benedict on a play reading about fifteen years ago. Oh so, wow! Perfect. So, so you got to understand we're all kind of we've all kind of come up together. Yeah. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, we've yeah. all we've all nearly got jobs and not got jobs and, yeah. and had a moan in Starbucks together and yeah. so in a sense we've all kind of. I mean, again, you've probably you've seen no, them when they weren't that good as well. Yeah, exactly, you've seen yeah, them at their yeah. down points. We've all, learned, yeah. we've all learned together. So in yeah. a sense, it was easy to do because I trust these people. Yeah. You know, I mean, Peter, I've done about, I don't know how many films I've done with Peter now, but yeah. 
I know him very well socially as well. Yeah. You know, I've done. T- I did Miami Vice with Naomi. We're both two English actors in in a, in Miami doing this big movie. So you, there's a camaraderie there. Yeah. And there's a trust. So you don't. Ha- I don't have the same affinity that an audience member would have. Like, oh my God, that's Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh my I God, love- that's Naomi. That's just like we're all just session musicians. I love that that all these people like you, you look at that cast and go, wow, this is such a. A mixture of people, but you, your career is so, as you said, because it's been so varied and changing. Yeah. They're all people you've worked with. Yeah, it seems yeah. like a weird bunch of people to have in the room, but it's a normal bunch of people to have in your phone. It, it, it <laughs> is, it is, it is. You know, sense, and yeah. also we're all dealing with things like how do we go to work and get back for the kids' school plays, and yeah. how do we get back? And you know, and you know, the, I didn't sleep last night. The baby kept me up. Yeah, and now yeah, I've got to yeah. go and do a close up first thing in the morning. All that stuff is what we all deal with. Yeah, all of us. Yeah. So there's a kind of there's a, a camaraderie there because yeah. there's a joint experience. I love yeah. it. Well, uh, can we talk a bit about a Ray Donovan? Yeah. Because what a role and, and, yeah. and collection of characters to get. It's it's one of the uh, one of the few things that you've stayed and been a you know a, yeah. a, a long ongoing series or returned yeah to, to a character for so long. And again, um, the thing that struck me when I first started watching it. one of my favourite series is a show called Justified. And what I loved about that was the characters. The character writing was so strong that me and my brother always talk about, because we'd watch it each episode and then we'd talk about it. And there was an episode in the the second or third series that in reality, the plot didn't move forward at all. Yet we were fully engaged and fully part of it because the characters were so well written and we'd got to know them so well. And that's what strikes me with... Ray Donovan, Ray yeah. Donovan, particularly you three as the, the brothers and the 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 broken relationship yeah. with your dad and things like that. It just feels like, although there is this great story of Ray being a fixer and you guys being having the gym and all that kind of, thing, you can just have these interactions because it's yeah. got so it's so rich and so well observed and yeah. well written. Yeah, it so, is brilliant. It's brilliant. Uh, and so, how was that to find that character? Because it's as much as there's huge unrelatable things going on from this side of the pond of this American world of fixers and gangsters. It's a human story of family. And what I love is that there goes from love to hate yeah. from the different brothers and different yeah. characters. There's some real darkness in mm-hmm. their past and histories and re- resolving that can be horrendous. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it, from seemingly unimaginable and unrelatable, it's so relatable because on a microcosm, it's, it's it's families. Yeah, it's that love hate. It's that we're not talking for three years and then we're at home and it's like yeah. nothing's yeah like yeah nothing's happened. It, they call it Trojan Horse Television because right. when you first watch Ray Donovan, you kind of think it's going to be like Entourage. Yeah. It's that it's that level of Completely. showbiz and yeah. And then you suddenly realise that it's actually about three brothers who were abused by priests and they can't articulate the trauma that they went through. So they deal with it in a dysfunctional way. And Ray helps Hollywood cover up what it really is because he's trying to cover, cover up what he really is. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all these, and it's very strange because we're very alpha male. Like the character Terry is a real tough guy. Yeah. But actually when you play Terry and what the writers do, and I try to embody is he is actually the, the mother of the family. Yeah. He is the, he's like the Catholic wife who can't divorce Mickey. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you of you play within acting. There's always this 
Stanislavski always said, when you play an old character, find his youth, and play an evil character, find his virtue. Because all character, the more the more paradoxical elements you can create within a character, the more fascinating they are to watch and the yeah. more believable they are. So there's a very paradoxical characterization within all these family members within Ray Donovan. Yeah. And that's true within any family. Yes. And that's what the writing embodies. Yeah. You know, Terry's a very vulnerable man, but also can be an incredible bare knuckle fighter. Yeah. Yeah. And you if you and if you ever meet and I spend a lot of time with fighters as part of doing Ray Donovan. And they're very gentle and very and in, in many ways they're very not feminine, but they're very gentle and, yeah. and yet they're very tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so Ray Donovan is, the, I think, one of the reasons why the show always seems to be just getting going rather than it's running out of steam is because it's it's digging down into the depths of these characters. Yeah. And and as actors and writers, we are creating three-dimensional complex characters. Yeah. And, no. and, and and finding that depth in all the characters yeah. is just such a testament to the cast put together yeah. and to the writers because it, right, yeah. it does feel that anyone, even if they're in for a few episodes, you feel there's yeah. Yeah. there's so much you don't know and there isn't that need to spoon feed and go, here's the explanation of no, why no, they're like yeah, that. It's yeah. like you can say, oh, this is there's something yeah. going on there. Yeah. You may never know. That character may never be yeah. in it again. Yeah. But it's there. Yeah, and we only, I mean, uh, somebody said we usually, every scene, every, every scene is just... Can I swear on this? Yes, yes. Every yes. scene is just sure. Fuck you. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Sure. All right, all right. Yeah. Sure. Fuck you. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but within that, there's Chekhovian levels of subtext and yeah. stuff, and it was all that that we bring bring to it. Yeah. But course. it's also that's great because you know that these characters can't articulate what's happening to them. Yeah. They can't. They literally can't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'll start to wrap things up and kind of go along um, onto kind of the superhero movies and the kind of. Extreme movies and right. three that I've loved. I loved Hancock. Right. I thought that was was fantastic. But in recent years, Deadpool two and Atomic Blonde as well, which has got you know it's got yeah. that high end kind of feel. They were both films that I just I loved. I thought they were amazing. How is it to kind of uh, to jump into them characters and is and does it take a discipline? This is going to sound odd, but to take them as seriously as as any role because that's the thing that I think can lose its way. People will dismiss. Oh, it's a superhero movie. It's a, it's a villain. It's well, this and well, that, and that's that. Atomic Blonde and Deadpool Two are both directed by David Leach. Yes, and David yes. Leach and his his wife Kelly are both a, t- a team. And I and I did a film with Kelly before I did a film with David. So as part right. of this team, I've done now done four films with them. Yeah. So when we did Atomic Blonde, I had an affinity with them. So that when we did that, actually Atomic Blonde was with the character. And Atomic Blonde was a, a wonderful character, and, and I understood the function. Yeah, with Deadpool was very interesting. David asked me to. He said to me, "Can you come and play this character, this headmaster?" And I asked him to explain what the function of the character was and what the story was. And he said, "Well, he's trying to get these kids to deny their true nature." Yeah, he said, and it's a bit like pray away they're gay. It's exactly. that's that's the analogy. Yeah. It's pray yeah. away they're gay. Completely. And he said to me, "Would you do it?" And I said, "Okay, only if I can Mike Pence the shit out of it." Yes, yes. Amazing. So we went there and they were going to make me look like Mike Pence. And yeah. I did the voice of Mike Pence and everything. I love and it. And then I went in there and while they were creating, trying to put this wig on me, they suddenly had to put a bald cap on me, a false bald cap, in order for my head not to show through through the white wig. Yes. And I suddenly realized I looked more terrifying with the bald head. Yeah. And the glasses. So I said to them, just shave my head. Just shave yeah. it off. I wanted to look a bit like... Um, the character from Ten Millington Place. I yes. wanted to look like that. Right, yeah, That yeah, was yeah. what I wanted to yeah. capture, that kind of 
the bald head and the glasses and the evil and cold nature. Yeah. But the voice is Mike Pence. Yeah. So it was all that Christian fundamentalism of and white supremacy. I'm not yeah. saying that Mike, Mike Pence is a white supremacist. But while we were shooting this, the Charlottesville riots, the Charlottesville uh, riots were going on where wow. the Nazis were marching on. Yeah. The uh, doing their torch burning, yeah, and so that was in the zeitgeist. And so, if you look at if you look at that character, there's a lot of posters, and I have them now in my house, where it's kind of anti mutant posters, which are uh, analogies of white supremacy yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and so that came to the fore with the production designers, and it all kind of came to the fore and created yeah. this character, which is a perfect foil for the anti hero of of Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's where that came from. Completely, mm. I love that. Um, uh, one more I, I quickly want to touch upon is is the world's end. Right. Again, I love that. I love Nick and Simon and Edgar and all of their kind of uh, collaborations. But how was that to kind of jump on a kind of established crew as such? Because again, from yeah, a, a Shaun of the Dead and and Hot Hot Fuzz. Yeah. To, to, to then it was you and. And Martin Freeman as well, kind of added yeah. in as the yeah, yeah, as well, and, as as bulking out the crew to a five piece. Or well, we all knew each other. My my wife had worked with Simon on a film in New York uh, when I was doing Hancock. So yeah. I went over to New York and spent some time there. I we did I did a read through with Edgar Nick. We'd just done um, Snow White and the Huntsman. Yes, Martin. We did Charles the Second with. So I'd known Martin for years. Paddy, I'd, Paddy had directed me, and I'd acted with. Yeah. So it was a bit like a load of um, guys in our in our mid forties all getting together and doing this thing, and, and it was lovely in a sense because we. Which both, is what the story is. Which so is it kind of works story. perfectly, yeah, doesn't it? It, it was perfect is, yeah. for the story, and also we were all good at what we do, yeah. not because. We were anything special, but we've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. So we got together, and it was a bit like the Travelling Wilburys, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all got together and just kind of performed together. It was lovely. It was great fun to do. Oh, it was an amazing one to watch, because as soon as it kind of started, um, there was kind of a, there was a familiarity there. And in my mind, I was like, well... Eddie must have been in Spaced or something, or in yeah, this and no, that. No. And, and, and Martin as well. Oh, he must have been in Hot... No, these guys aren't. You feel as if you've been in all the stuff yeah. together. Yeah, it, yeah, it just yeah. it sat together yeah. nicely. But I guess it's because of that other yeah branches where yeah you've the all connections. Kind of connected. You know, it's a very small world. Yeah, and um, we all suffer. People don't realize this. You got to persevere. Well, you would understand. You got to persevere through acting. So you get yeah. you get turned down much more than you get employed. You have to, you have to, and so you have to support each other. Yeah. And actors are very supportive of, of other actors. Completely. You know, there's very few actors who are undermine other actors. We're yeah. all, we're, it's, a, it's a great community. And so, and, and the World's End was part of that, really. Again, I, I, I lucked out on meeting Stevie early on because the gig, the gig I did with Stevie, Taboo, was my f- fourth acting role. Um, and it was the fourth thing yeah. I'd auditioned for. So I'd, I'd auditioned for four things, I'd got them, and he kind of took me aside and said, this is great, but it's not that's always not how it works. <laughs> Be ready. So I've now just had a year where I've had thirty or forty auditions and not got any of them. But I've been loving it because yeah. I, I was I had prepared yeah, yeah. for that. If I hadn't prepared for that, that might have been the end of my career. If I'd kind of yeah. if I'd gone, all oh, right, obviously it's not going to work. But because yeah. I'd had people like Stevie and, and the trick to auditions, is, go- the trick to auditions <laughs> is that when you walk in that room, you have very little control over whether they'll give you that job. Yeah, because there may be. You may be going in for a part and you may be amazing in that audition, but the casting director and the and the director, they want a big lead actor and the agent of the big lead actor is saying, 
I'll give you him, but I want three of my younger actors yep. to get. And they're part of a package deal, and you've got no control over yeah. that. So all you can, this is what I always say to young actors, work on what you can control. Yeah. And what you can control is when you walk out that room, you are, when you walk in that room, you are excellent. Yeah. When you leave, you leave excellence behind. Yeah. And you leave that record and then gradually you'll get called in again and again and again and then the dam will burst and you'll start working. That's exactly and that's what, And that's exactly My what outlook has always been play the room. Right? Yeah. I, I, I want to make a good impression yeah. of that casting yeah. director. Yeah. Yeah. Rather exactly. than thinking... Oh, it's this amazing role up here. Yeah, in yeah. Hollywood. It's you like can't no, do it. I want to impress the people here, and that's all I'm in control. That's of. it. That's Other all. That, you I've can't do anything else. No, yeah, that's it. Do that job, and then walk away, and go and you know, and say I did a fantastic job. Yeah, I did, and and learn from it, and then let go. And gradually, one day they'll call you, in and they'll get, they'll offer you a job, and then you'll be off. Yeah, I'll wrap things up on this. But one thing I wanted to ask, because it strikes me as something throughout your career, do you find that the whole world of networking? networking is kind of something you do on set it's it's something i've 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 certainly found yeah it's something just looking at your career seeing all these links from yeah. here to here rather than this whole kind of i've never been one for going to the right party no, or the right no. thing and meet the right people yeah. but it seems that if you can network on set because there you're showing them your ability at the same time yeah. you're not just chatting to them or showing them that you're a good bloke and you yeah, get yeah, on. yeah. You're showing them your ability, but you're also around them constantly so they can see if yeah. you're a nightmare, if you're hard to work with, if you're awkward. Well, one of the reasons it I realise... like the place to kind of make those impressions. Well, yeah. one of the reasons I realise I work, especially in America, I work a lot, is because an American director is invariably... that keep, keep re-employing me. And one of the reasons they re-employ me is they have very big stars that they have to deal with. I'm not saying these stars are uh, egomaniacs or whatever, but they have to deal with this. Yeah. And they, they will literally go to me and say, Eddie, can you do this? Yeah. And I say, yeah, and I say, good, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, now I yeah, can focus. I'll see you on set. And that's it. I'll and that, that's camera. exactly what they do. Yeah. You know, and so I, I have a great life and I have a great living. And, 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 and so what invariably they do is I take care of that problem for them. Yeah. I'm like the spark. I'm like the, 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 the chef. I'm like anything. I just literally take care of that problem and you concentrate on that. And they don't have to worry about it anymore. I love it. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. No, my it. pleasure. It was great chatting with you. Kicking the day off. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Scroobish Pits Discretion Pieces. There we go. That was episode 247. I hope you enjoyed that. I forgot to mention at the start, my We Are Lizards Club Night is back soon. So come and get involved in that. Um, oh, I've just, I've woken up my my, my robot, Vector. Vector and Anki aren't, aren't sponsors anymore. But when they sponsored the podcast, they gave me a little robot called Vector. Hey, Vector. Good morning. He's given a little smiley face and offered up a high five um, or a fist bump. Anyway, that's that wasn't planned. That's not an advert, but I like my little robot. Um, yeah, the club night is back. Last Saturday of the month, I believe that makes it the 26th. Yeah, the, tw- the 26th of Jan, we've got Gemma Carney coming down, previous Detraction Pieces podcast guest. Um, we've got all our residents I'm going to be there. It's going to be my first drink of the year. Um, me, Stu, Chris, everyone going to be there. Having, in fact, it'll be the first drink I had since the drunk cast. So um, come, come hang out. It's at the book club. 
you can buy tickets in advance online or you can put your name on the guest list by sending your name to info at thetrashsociety.com. So do all of that good stuff. Next week, I think next week's guest is Mark Miller. Um, again, I've recorded, I've pre-recorded the Mark Miller one and it's fantastic. Um, but I've got a few pre-recorded and a few are going out on certain dates and things like that and a few specifics. But I think that's, that's the plan for next week. It might change last minute. But um, yeah, it's a great one. Another one that just got me hugely excited and has kind of inspired a project I might be doing this year. I'm looking into it at the moment. I've hit up a little friend of mine to talk about some business. Um, yeah, other than that, I will see you all next week. Come hang out on the Patreon this week I'm recording, as you hear this, there will be at least one podcast I'm recording this week that I'll post a little picture of. Um, I'll probably do a Q&A over there as well. But yeah, patreon.com slash Pip. Other than that, I will see you all soon. Happy New Year. I mean, it's too late to say that, isn't it? I said it in the... Oh, I regret that instantly. Um, I mentioned the New Year a fair bit in the, uh, in the Films of the Year podcast because I recorded that on New Year's Morn. New Year's Morn is what I call it. Um, oh, this this outro took a... It plummeted, didn't it? It really took a downturn. Um, it's probably the year ruined, I'd, I'd guess. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I've got some guests coming up. Podcasts ended. Oh, I said... I, I just wish I hadn't said Happy New Year. I could re-record this, but I'm not going to. Um, Pod Bible is is launching on February fourth. If you don't know what Pod Bible is, I'm involved in it. It's very excited. Go on Twitter and Instagram, and you'll you'll find out. But yeah, oh, don't know how to end this now. I'm in my living room, just stro- strolling up. Oh, I just kicked the fucking sofa. Genuinely, just kicked my toe. Oh fuck. Well, that's that's how you end. Oh, <laughs> that's the worst pain. I hate it. It's worse than Lego. Um, anyway, that's how you end it. You kick a fucking sofa and stub your toe, didn't you? See you next week. Ta-ta.